where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, Colorado, the United States, or Europe, or anywhere in the world. When you think of the book of Psalms, there's 150 songs in there, many of them attributed to David. Which psalms come to mind by number? Feel free to call it out. Which psalm do you think of? 23, 121, 100, 1, 90? All right, 139, I'll add that one to what comes to mind for me. Okay, I was going to bet this, but I decided not to at the last minute, but now I wish I had. I was going to bet $100 that nobody would say Psalm 82. For some reason, it never shows up on a top ten list, a top three, and definitely not a number one. But after today, you may have different feelings about Psalm 82. I know I do. In a fourth century letter from a bishop of Alexandria, Egypt, in, um, of Alexandria in Egypt, this bishop said, most scripture speaks to us, the Psalms speak for us. And it turns out they spoke for Jesus too, because several sources say that Jesus quoted Psalms more than any other book in the Hebrew Bible. And Psalm 82 is one of the ones that Jesus quoted in the Gospel of John, verse 10. You can look that up later. But this morning we're going to look at Psalm 82. And when we were putting together this Be the Church sermon series, I went on to the National UCC site because that's where the Be the Church banner and came from and all of these um, aspects of what it means to be church and all the invitations of that. And they had scripture lessons connected to each piece. Turns out that they picked Psalm 82 for the fight for the powerless lesson. And when I first saw that, I'm like, 82? I never heard of that. But they also had some interesting ways of taking a look at what the message is. So I want to point out, what I would consider to be a faux pas on the bulletin cover this morning. When you look at this, fight with the powerless, it probably gives the wrong message. We are not to engage in combat or any kind of argument with the powerless. It's sort of like saying, I'm walking for hunger. No, we're walking against hunger, um, and we are fighting for the powerless or alongside the powerless. So my bad on letting that get through, because we were trying to play with some of the other ways of saying that. You know, confront the powers, fight alongside. But as we learned last week, it really is our task to fight for. For anyone who has privilege and influence, it is our task to fight for those who do not. And I'll say more about that in a few minutes. But back to the psalm. So you're about to hear this psalm, but I want you to picture a court scene. A truly supreme, as in heavenly court. And God is the chief justice. 
the central authoritative deity presiding over the council of lesser deities. This was written in a time where there were beliefs in multiple gods, and the claim of Judaism and Christianity now was that we are monotheistic. We are only going to follow this one God. And that's the one who's serving as the chief justice, if you will. And the charge is a failure in their role to bring justice to the earth. The judges are being uh, charged for not doing their job. And in not doing their job, it threatens all of creation. And the norm by which they are judged is crystal clear. The chief judge, the one that we base our faith on in Judaism and Christianity, said that here's what matters most, protecting the rights of the weak and fighting for the powerless. There's no jury. There's no opportunity to speak or defend themselves. And the identity of the judges is ambiguous. But it's clear that God is really ticked off. So, Marion, come on up and let's, let's listen to this song. God calls the judges into the courtroom and puts all the judges in the dock. Enough. You've corrupted justice long enough. You've let the wicked get away with murder. You're here to defend the defenseless, to make sure that underdogs get a fair break. Your job is to stand up for the powerless and prosecute all those who exploit them. Ignorant judges, head-in-the-sand judges, they haven't a clue to what's going on. And now everything's falling apart. The world's coming unglued. I commissioned you, judges, each one of you, deputies of the high God. But you've betrayed your commission, and now you're stripped of your rank, busted. That was not written last week. It was written a really long time ago. But it's hard not to see this as a contemporary commentary on the state of our nation. I mean, for many, this song taps into a deep longing to see justice done, to see right triumph over wrong and truth uncovered beneath deceit. Are you familiar with this longing? Do you feel this? Do you want this? This longing is also God's longing. This longing is also the longing that fueled Jesus in his ministry. Thy kingdom come, he said. You be the judge, God. You be the supreme authority. Let's see what it would be like to live in a world where God's rule was followed. And this is also the longing of the church today. In no uncertain terms, Psalm 82 is an indictment of the powerful. And as hearers of the proceedings, we get to hear what God cares about most, 
I didn't even think about this till this very second, but I hope no one here is. A, is anybody here a judge? I know we have attorneys. But if I had known that information, I would have called you and said, hey, heads up. We're doing Psalm 82. Don't take it personally. But at the same time, we're all to take this a little bit personally because we get to hear what matters most. Any power we have, is to be used to work on behalf of the powerless. Here's the job again. You're here to defend the defenseless, to make sure that underdogs get a fair break. Your job is to stand up for the powerless and prosecute all those who exploit them. It's a really big job. And as our children are learning right now in church school, we're learning right now that we must do it together. It's not a job for one, one person or one church or even one nation. It's a really big job. And when it comes to the powerless, perhaps you're wondering, who are the powerless? Um, Let's go with this definition. There are people or groups without ability, influence, or power. Now, your theology, I hope, informs you to say, is there really anybody without ability? I don't think so. Are there people without influence and groups? Absolutely. And it's the influence piece that I think is closely aligned to the power. When we used to have big storms back east, people used to say, oh, I lost my power. I said, you never lose your power. You lose electricity. Think about that. There was a Facebook post this week that also offered some helpful definitions. It defined accessibility as getting in the door. Diversity as invited to the table and counted. In other words, there's a chair for you. Inclusion is having a voice at the table. And belonging is having your voice heard. One of the defining statements of this community is, no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And on the Casa de Paz website this week, they said there's a difference between you are welcome here and this was created with you in mind. For instance, consider how perspective changes when life circumstances change. Like if suddenly you need a mobility assistance device. You probably could come into this sanctuary all the time, but when you have that mobility assistance device, you probably recognize the ramp. You might not have seen it before now. Or if you pull up to the Warren Street parking area and all you saw was stairs, now you see there is a circuitous ramp that goes up because you need it. There was also a a comic strip of sorts on Facebook this week where it showed someone shoveling stairs. And someone in a wheelchair said, you know, hey, can you shovel this part over here? And the person shoveling said, well, just wait till I'm done with the stairs. These people need to get up into the building. And the wheelchair person said, if you shovel the ramp, we can all get up. Right? 
voice heard. So the ramps in our space say, this was created with you in mind. This was created with you in mind. Ask a left-handed person how often things were created with only right-handed people in mind. What else comes to your mind when you consider this new statement? This was created with you in mind. Stay with it. This past week, Beth and I went to an orchestra concert at Silver Creek High School. It was Wednesday night. Does anybody know what Wednesday night was? So what was that? Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur. Going to an orchestra concert on Wednesday night was the equivalent of going to an orchestra concert at a school on Christmas Eve. How did that happen? Whose calendar was in mind when that was set? Another way to ask it is whose calendar was not in mind? I love this question, or I love this statement, because it gives us an entree into privilege that's a little bit easier to handle. I don't think I've ever even seen a conflict of interest on a Christmas Eve with like a big event that I wanted to go to. Christmas Eve was always like sacred time. Remember when you couldn't even shop on a Sunday? I love having to consider who was in mind when something was created or decided, or built, or fashioned. That's what it means to fight for the powerless. Now, I did have a conversation with Susan from Longmont Shabbat. It was last year when we were talking about the Festival of Lights, and I was talking about, you know, are there any Jewish symbols in Longmont? You know, there were couples, there was one store that put up a um, menorah, And I went in, I said, thank you so much for having this menorah in the window. Why do I care about that? Because I want our children to know that there's more than one religion. And I want them to recognize the symbols. And I want the adults to recognize them too. And when I talked to Susan about that, she said, you know, here's what I really care about. Could you just find a way to get somebody to consider the Jewish calendar? I can't tell you how many times I've sent it to the city council to not have meetings on our high holy days. And here I was revisiting this with an orchestra concert. I wonder how many sporting events they had. So who's going to write a letter to the Board of Education? A kind, caring letter that recognizes the complexity of calendars and that would ask respectfully that our Jewish brothers and sisters and perhaps family members would be considered when scheduling things. 
so that some of our brothers and sisters and family members and Jewish friends are not forced to choose between a wonderful community moment of a concert and a deeply holy moment in the life of a Jewish family. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I hope you'll join me in writing that letter. I also want to share with you our new bathroom signs. We've got a lot of bathrooms in this building. Be glad you don't have to clean them. I know I am. But we are going to be putting up a single-user restroom sign. If you look closely, you'll see that it has Braille and it has Spanish words. So who were we thinking about when we picked this? And there's another, you'd be amazed at how complicated this sign conversation has been. And I, I don't mean that disparagingly. I mean, there's like a lot of options out there. And so now we also are going to be putting up this sign, which says, All Gender Restroom. And it also has Braille, um, but it doesn't have Spanish. You'd also be surprised how expensive these signs are when you custom make them. This is going to be at the uh, flanking the Montessori door. So who did we have in mind when we made this choice? The trans community. Yeah. And people with disabilities. You need to know that this is a restroom that has bars and accessories that are necessary for people with mobility devices. Yeah. And folks who read Braille, people who have sight. I mean, it, it's all our other signs don't. I mean, it's interesting, right? Who did you have in mind when you created this sign? So this is where it might start to feel a little uncomfortable. And for folks who have lived in a privileged position, a position of power, this discomfort is not a sign that something's wrong. It's actually a sign that we're learning. Our vision and our view is being expanded. It's actually a good sign. I know we've been taught all our lives, many of us, to, if it's uncomfortable, like walk away or ignore it or pretend it's not there or defend yourself or say something to squelch it. But if we're going to practice what love and grace looks like, feels like, and sounds like in community, we're going to have to welcome the discomfort a little bit and recognize that it's actually a gift of the Spirit. It's actually teaching us something. I wish I had thought to say that when the choir was rehearsing the hymns that were really hard this morning. I don't know who picked them. Um, I did. But, you know, okay, the discomfort's good. Look at how you're growing musically. Or not. How can we befriend discomfort? in service to others.
So just remember, when you start to feel that discomfort, like, uh, I'll give you one more example. At the Iglesia gathering last week, the purpose of that gathering was to offer presentations in Spanish as much as possible. Why? Because it was designed for the Latino community and the undocumented community. And I was told by the pastor and his wife that this is a Spanish-speaking community that they serve. Now, thankfully, Habitat for Humanity via Crystal, had some devices that helped only English-speaking people understand a little bit. We had headsets on, English speakers had headsets on, and we got the gist of what was being said, but we didn't understand every single word. And it might not have started the way we would ordinarily start a gathering. There were unfamiliar faces. If that was a tiny bit uncomfortable, I say, Thank God. It was the tiniest of glimpses into what it's like to live in a world that doesn't use your language first. What a gift. The new statement, this was created with you in mind, is an interesting entree into power and influence. Who was considered in making this or deciding this or scheduling this? This week's invitation is to make sure we create and decide, evaluate and speak with the powerless in mind. Similarly, we're invited to be attentive to whose longing is being realized. It can't be our longing for comfort and ease or convenience. This community thing is messy and it's challenging, but it's worth it. Because if you're connected to God's longing, there's going to be a way forward. Because even if there was discomfort last Tuesday night when the primary language being spoken was Spanish, there were donuts, there was coffee, there was juice, there were smiles, there were children, and a community was served. There were people lining up to speak to the attorneys one-on-one. And I heard some feedback from folks in our community that they learned some things some helpful things. We're growing in God's grace and God's love. It's a big job. We're going to have to do it together. Friends, as you go back to the world, do indeed live so that God can use you. And as you encountered this space as a space of grace, a place that seeks to welcome all people, know that the world needs more of those places. And so as you seek to make room for others everywhere that you are, remember even when the work gets hard, that when Jesus left his friends, he said to them, I give you my peace.
It is my peace that I give to you, and I do not give as the world gives. Therefore, be not afraid. Go now to live in peace. Amen. Amen.